Well, good morning, Joy Christian Center. How many of you are glad you're here? Well, we're glad you're here. As Pastor John mentioned, that's kind of a core value that we have. We, we, we just believe this, that, that uh, you know, God welcomes us all in regardless of what we are like or did or what our past is because he knows he's got a good future for us. That's what he said in his word, that, that he knows the thoughts and plans that he has for us, thoughts to give us a hope and a future. And the reason he knows that is because he's the one who, do, who built us and designed us with that. He knows what his plans for us are, and he wants us all to, to, walk, into, to walk into those plans, but you've got to get to know God before you, can ever, before you can ever walk into those plans. And so we're glad that you're here regardless of what your life has been like, what your last night was like. We, we don't care. We're just glad that you're here. Pastor John has a past, I have a past, you have a past, all God's children had a past, but guess what that past is? Past. And we're still, some of us still working on getting past the past, aren't we? Anyone? And that's a little bit about what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, we're starting a series that we're calling Unshakable, and, and it's a new series in one sense, but it's sort of a tag on to, to the last series that we did uh, uh, called Stand, where we were talking in Ephesians chapter 6 and the, you know, the, the spiritual armor, the, the weapons of our warfare and the, the armor that God gave to us for the struggle that we're in. And, uh, uh, and, and so this, this ability to, to be unshakable is a kind of a part two. It's, a, it's going in a little bit different direction, but it's still kind of that same thought. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Tim. Did a great job last Sunday bringing the Word of God. I think you, you, you ministered it almost exactly like Teresa gave it to you. And, uh, <laughs> no, and uh, I, I appreciate that a lot. And, and it's so important to understand the mind of Christ. Pastor Tim taught last week about losing your mind. And, and, and there, there is a giving up of what we think to accept what God thinks. One of the greatest moments in my Christian life was the moment that I realized that God's smarter than I was. And I started, we think it's kind of funny, oh yeah, God's, but we don't take his word literally sometimes. He actually is smarter than you. What if the Bible's actually true? And what if God is actually smarter than you are? We probably wouldn't have made some of the foolish mistakes and decisions that we have made, amen? So I want to I begin this series with a question, who's in control? Who's in control? Who's in control? Now, I know that probably you're all thinking, well, I'm in church. The answer has got to be either God or Jesus, right? I mean, we're in church. Is it God? Is it Jesus? Who really is in control? And, and, and you know, if we are as followers of Christ, if we're familiar with the Word of God, then we should actually have the idea that God is the one who is in control. I'm, as a kid, I, I sang songs about God is in control, and I, and I heard preaching about God is in control, and no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what's going on, who's in control? God's in control. Now, I agree with that, but, everybody say but. You know people that don't agree with that. In fact, some of you might even be those people because perhaps you're a person who went through, as a child, maybe your parents divorced and, and it caused some really, really difficult things in your life. And when you hear God is in control, it might make you wonder just a little bit, well, if God's in control, then why did he do that to my parents? Or maybe you as an adult went through some very difficult times in your life or in, in your business or in your finances or, or, or in a relationship of some kind. And you hear somebody say, see, this is what unbelievers are thinking. Well, if God is in control, then why is my life a mess? Or why is their life a mess if God truly is in control? If God truly has a plan for your life. 
And we look around the world today, we look at what's happening, we look at what's going on, uh, you know, in nations across the globe, and, and we see things like famine and earthquake and, and disasters. We look at our nation and we wonder at times, who's in control? Whether it's injustices and the chaos that's happening, all the things that go on, it's like, what is going on in my nation? Who's in control? And when our default is God is in control, and, and, and he is, but when, when, when my default is God is in control, it causes people to ask a lot of questions, and, and sometimes we may not even have all the answers. So who's in control of our lives? Who's in control of what's going on in our world, in our nation, and, and all around us? And, and, and so that backdrop, if you will, of, of what... <laughs> that question, who's in control, and, and, and it might be hard for us to believe that God is in control, and I, I want to speak to that just a little bit this morning, because this is a question that a lot of people have. If God is truly in control, if, if, if the name of Jesus is a name that's above every other name, if God is all-powerful, then why? Then how come? Then what about those questions begin to get asked, and those are very difficult questions to answer, and, and yet the Bible speaks to those things. We, I don't know, I don't want to, I, I, this is my personal belief, I think as a nation that we are heading into some very, very rocky waters, some very difficult times as a nation. Some things that will shake us to the, I think that this election cycle, this is my second time for sure, might be the third time that I've been told this is the most important election of my lifetime. Anyone? I mean, and it is, they're all important. Can I just tell you, they're all important. You need to vote. There's people sitting here right now that should run for office. I think Christians ought to be involved in the market, in, in, not in the marketplace, in, in, that, in that realm, well, in the marketplace. Christians ought to be salt and light in every, in every aspect, but I think that we are heading into a, a very turbulent time just as a nation, as a people. And you and I can't get caught up in that. And we think this is the most important election of my lifetime, and we think at many times that this is the, this is the craziest that this world has ever been. Now, probably as crazy as, as the 60 years I've been on this world. It's probably the craziest. But do you realize this morning that crazy is not uncommon to this world? Do you realize that trouble and, and problems and unrest and all of those things are not uncommon to this world? Listen to something that was written several thousand years ago. In the book of uh, Psalms chapter 82, it says this, but you are so foolish and so ignorant. Isn't that encouraging today? I wanted to say that to you, but I thought I'd read it from the Bible instead. No, because <laughs> people, well, anyway. All right, you're so foolish and so ignorant because you are in darkness. Notice this, all the foundations of society are shaken to the core. That wasn't written yesterday. That wasn't written this year. And this year has been a year for the ages. I mean, good Lord. Of all the things that are going on, and now we get to go and endure an election cycle, and half the country thinks if your guy gets elected, then, you know, it's going to be, we, we should all be afraid, and the other half is like, well, why should you be afraid? If my guy gets elected, the world's going to be awesome, you know, and, 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 and there's division, and there's conflict, and there's, there's problems, there's all these things, and yet God is offering something to us, and so we're calling this series Unshakable, and just a, kind of a little side note, but I want to give it to you because I know I have grammar police in the house, and we, pro, we appreciate you you and you keep us in line and, and in check, but do you realize that there are two ways to spell the word unshakable? 
And so we couldn't decide which way to spell unshakable. So we went to the dictionary to find out what unshakable or unshakable actually means. And so here is unshakable. Unshakable means not able to be shaken, firm, solid, and resolute. Yeah, I like unshakable. What's the other unshakable mean? Cannot be shaken or moved, unaltering, or unfaltering, and unwavering. Potato, potato. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> so we went with the spelling that you see at the very top. I'm sorry, the, the second one, unshakable, because that looks more correct than having that weird E in there as well. So if, if, if you don't like that, then you just... You just write in an E or scribble an E out and just will make you happy. We're not going to be shaken by uh, those kinds of things. And so we just wanted to point that out. And uh, so, so don't be shaken or overwhelmed by those things. And so this question, who's in control? Now, God is in control. Amen. How many of you would agree with me? God is in control. Now, let me just give you something Jesus said, first of all. John chapter 16, this is from the message. It says this, I've told you all of this so that trusting me, if you've all trusted Jesus, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. This is possible for you today to be unshakable and deeply at peace. Jesus wrote some things for us so that we could, so that we could live this way. He goes on and says, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Yes. Then why pray? Why come to church? <laughs> but take heart, I've overcome or I've conquered the world. We ask the question, why is this happening? What's going on in our world? What's going on in my life? And I'm confused and all of these other things. And Jesus said, take heart. This has been going on. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that does not operate the way that God intended for it to operate, and that's part of the reason that Jesus came to this planet. He came here to try to restore some things that had been broken and damaged. And again, when we did the series, uh, you know, Not Normal, and, and, and I, I said to you this, that the things that we call everyday normal life are things that God calls broken. The things that are just normal and natural that we go through every day, God says they're broken. And I want to I fix that. And I want to repair it. And so people are asking the question, why are all these things happening? What's going on? I had yesterday, praise God, an awesome day. We <clears throat> celebrated our Thanksgiving yesterday. <clears throat> and I love me some Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody? That's like the best meal of the year. Praise God. Yeah, we had a few people here like, hey, Let's give Turkey a hand. Our founding fathers, our pilgrims, man, they're awesome people. And so we did the whole deal. We had 25 people at our house, all of Shelly's family. And, uh, you know, we had two turkeys and we had ham. We had dressing. We had stuffing. We had uh, uh, gravy. We had all the stuff that you would have. Now, I'm trying to lose weight. Believe it or not, it takes a lot of calories to keep this body working the way that it is, but I'm trying to cut back some. And so then, you know, a little bit later, uh, a couple of cousins came by, nieces came by, and they said, uh, do you want dessert? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> well, do you want pumpkin pie or do you want this chocolate thing? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> but I just want a little piece of both. And so she brought it back to me, and there was a nice big piece of pie and a nice big hunk of this chocolate thing. And I said, thank you. And I began to eat, and I didn't stop until everything. How many of you are mouth-watering right now, anyone? Man, I mean, just like, mm, mm, so good. Now, who's in control? God is in control. Well, if God's in control, then why didn't he take the fork out of my hand? 
if God is in control, then why didn't he cause my portion sizes to actually be human-sized portions? If God's in control, why did he make me stick a stick of butter into the skin of my turkey and four sticks of butter in my mashed potatoes and sour cream and cream cheese? Can I get an amen and a witness? Because we do Thanksgiving right. <laughs> now, here's the thing about God. God's in control. Sorry. I'm drooling as I spoke, and now I just <laughs> showers a blessing, too. <laughs> we need to be like the Jim Gaffigan thing and spread plastic over the front row. <laughs> God's in control, but God doesn't always take control. God's in control, but he doesn't always take control. And I want you to wrestle with that statement for just a little bit. I, I believe that God is sovereign and that God has a plan. But in the context of all of that, he also gives us a choice. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us so we can hear his voice. He wants to lead us and he wants to guide us and he wants to direct us. He wants to alert us to things that might harm us and he wants to bring us in, in, into places that will bring blessing into our life. Listen to the scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4 and it's from the message again. It says, friends, when life, really, when life gets really difficult, anybody relate? Anybody have life get difficult? Man, this is such a great verse. Listen to what he says. Don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Anytime we say, God, where are you? God, why didn't you show up? We've made the assumption God's not on the job. And so he's telling us here, he's, he's alerting us to something that there are going to be seasons in life and times in life that are going to confuse you. They're going to trouble you. They're going to give you some problems up here, which is why, again, what Pastor Tim taught last week was so important about the mind of Christ, thinking his thoughts. And so, again, he says this, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. And probably of all the things that I think about as a pastor, and particularly when I preach and teach, this thought, this idea that we assume or make the assumption or think or believe that either because of things I've done in my past or because of things I'm facing right now or because of different obstacles and roadblocks and things that have happened in my life, that for some reason, God has disqualified you. That for some reason... Because I faced this myself growing up as a teenager. I thought that I had done things, said things, or, or there was just something that was wrong on the inside of me that I just couldn't live this Christian life. Which is why I think that perhaps in that last series, the static load rating, that, that God is our architect, that God has, has designed us, God has built us to be able to withstand, which is what Paul said in Ephesians 6, that, you, that, that we would withstand all of the, the, the forces of the evil one. And this is such a concern that I have that you would be equipped with the word of God so that you would not be soon shaken, so that you would be able to stand because Jesus said difficult times are going to happen in your life. Don't be surprised by that. And so here again, I want to read this verse, verse 12. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. And then he puts in a word that it could be a lot of things, but he put in this word instead. Everybody say instead. 
You see, when we want to, when our mind wants to bring us to the place and questions begin to be asked, what is happening? What's going on? God, where are you? God, have you rejected me? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me alone? God, where are you? There's an instead that we need to be aware of. There is an instead that we have to focus our attention and our perspective towards. When we are faced with the temptation to think that God isn't on the job, instead, notice this, I hate this verse, be glad. Be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. In other words, he's saying, even in the midst of that, you can maintain your joy. Even in the midst of that, you can be joyful. I knew that would excite all of you this morning. He goes on. Instead, another perspective Don't assume God's not on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process. Boy, we hate this thought. Wait a minute, I'm not perfect? You mean, God, I'm praying that you change things, but leave me alone. I don't want to change. That's for second service people. (laughs) Oh, that's right, you're all here today. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Can you maintain your joy long enough until the joy that's around the corner that feels like it's hiding from you, until that joy has been revealed, until that glory has been revealed? Now, I've, I've said some of these things many, many times in different contexts. Let me remind you of something about the way that your brain works, because I think all brains work the same way. Your brain is designed to help you arrive at a conclusion. Your brain helps you connect dots. Your brain takes facts and figures and experiences and and, and things people said. It lumps it all together. And and when you begin to ask yourself a question or you begin to question things, your brain doesn't know. It just kicks into gear to help you answer that question. That's why some of you can't sleep at night. Because you've been been thinking and questioning and your brain is just... But it's nighttime. That's the only time that you're kind of like, you know, actually listening. (laughs) And so your brain is, and your, your brain is designed to help you arrive at a conclusion. And I've said this many times, the conclusion that you arrive at, somebody said one time that a conclusion is just the point where you got tired of thinking. But anyway, the conclusion that you arrive at is either going to be the greatest asset of your life or it's going to be the greatest liability of your life. Some people have arrived at the conclusion that they're just broken that they're toxic. Some people have arrived at the conclusion that they'll never measure up. Some people have arrived at the conclusion because of life and because of things that have happened that they say, I I just can't, that there's no way that God could ever. And that conclusion that you arrive at will be a great limitation or a great blessing. If you begin to arrive at the conclusion that God's smarter than I am, that his grace is sufficient, that his, that his way is, is, is perfectness and peace, it's pleasant, it's, it's all of those things. And so I, I want to say this to you, that your questions, the questions of your thought life, the questions of your mind, what you're thinking about, your questions give direction to your thoughts. Your thoughts follow your questions. And so when you ask the question, God, where are you? God, why is this happening? God, how come you've let me down again? When you begin to ask those questions, your brain, it starts to answer the question for you. Now, I want to show you something that God does. Questions, questions don't freak God out, by the way. 
I think God is honored when we bring the tough questions to him. I think God is honored when we bring the unanswerable to him. He said, come to me. If, if any man lack wisdom, let him come to me and I'll give him wisdom. He may not always give it in your time frame. He may not always give it in your timetable. But he's going to help you understand. He, that's what he said he would do. But sometimes he'll do it in, in ways that we don't think. And so, great instance, and I, there's a lot of... Uh, other stuff here that, that I won't go into, but in the book of, of, of Exodus, Moses has been given a task by God. And God says to Moses, and, and he's 80 years old at this time roughly, and he's, he's going to, uh, God basically sees the burning bush, and God says, I'm going to make you a deliverer. You're going to bring my people out. You're going to bring them into the promised land. God said, Moses said, I tried that 40 years ago. You saw what happened. It failed miserably. I've been tending sheep now for the last 40 years. I'm really comfortable. He had arrived at the conclusion that his life was going to be about tending sheep. God upset that. God shook it. God changed it. And so Moses did what people do. He began to ask a question. And in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? That's a legitimate question, is it not? Because God had said, Moses, you're going to be the guy that's going to cause 400 years of captivity to be gone. I'm going to destroy the greatest army, uh, the nation of Egypt that the world has ever seen. And you're going to bring these people out. And he's like, well, what am I going to say? Tell him I sent you. And so here's Moses asking the question, what if they don't believe? What if they don't believe me? What if they? What if they? What if they? What if they? Moses started, he led with a question that really can't be answered. Moses led with a question that had no answer to it. It was beyond, the answer to that question was beyond his control. And so when you and I think, what about them? How many of you have ever thought and wondered or were concerned about what other people thought? The rest of you are liars. We all at times are, are, are influenced by the fear of what other people think. And so Moses begins to ask God a hypothetical because it is beyond your control what others think. You cannot stop other people from thinking what they think. And you can't worry about what they think because they're going to think what they think. Because that's what you do. Amen? I can hear them. Feels like you're making sense, but you're making me think this morning. Moses is asking hypothetical scenario about other people. You can't control other people. And so when your questions revolve around people that you can't control, circumstances that you control, things that you can't control, a future that you can't control. When you begin to ask those questions of God, you're asking questions that really can't be answered or are only within the wheelhouse of God. Because you can't control the future. You can't control the economy. You can't control the stock market. You can't control political unrest and climate. You can't control cultural things. You cannot control those things. He's in control, God is. doesn't always take control. In fact, he asks us to sur surrender control to him. And so when we are asking questions about the future... What if they? What about tomorrow? What about next week? Asking questions about what has or hasn't yet happened. All of those things that are beyond control. When you can't get the answers for that because it's impossible, then you 
are tempted to come to the assumption that God is not on the job, that God is slipping up, that God's not there. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to think that God is not honoring his word, that God is not keeping his promises. And so God redirects, God redirects some of the thought. Because again, your questions, your thoughts follow the questions of your mind, and your mind wants to help you come to a conclusion. It wants to help you to arrive at an answer. So God redirects Moses, and he says this in, in verse 2, Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Moses was asking, What if they? And God says, What is that? What is that that's in your hand? And it was a staff, he replied. You see, when we are stuck in the hypothetical of the future or what might happen or what's going on around us and all those other things, those are, those are things that we cannot answer that, that really, again, is only in that realm of God. And so God wants us to, to take stock of and look at what do we have available to us. I got a couple of fish and some bread. Well, that's exactly what I need for 5,000 people to be fed. I've got a voice. I've got an encouraging word. I've got the Holy Spirit. What do you have? Not what don't you have. What do you have? And so when we begin to encounter things that are difficult, when we begin to encounter things that, are, that, that, that would shake a normal person, God says, I want you to look at what I've given to you. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. I've made you one with me. I put a new life on the inside of you. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Again, Pastor Tim talking about the mind of Christ. We need to be so convinced about the truth of the word of God that it is the truth that changes the circumstances, not the circumstances changing us. So I want to, I said kind of all of this to tell you this next part. And this is, the theme or the subject of the next couple of weeks. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 27, I'm not going to go into all the history and all the stuff. There's just a simple principle that arrested me about eight weeks ago that, that I think that we as the body of Christ are going to live through. Verse 27 says, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. There are things that are going to be shaken in this world and in this life, in our lives. There are things that are going to be shaken so that things that are unshaken or unshakable might be revealed. And I think about the month of March. January, February, life's just going on, woohoo! you know, we're all excited about it. it's a new year, and then we start hearing reports and rumors and all kinds of different things, and there's a pandemic, and there's this and that, and then our country shut down. And I've, I've made this, tried to make this point several times about we as a nation and our pride in our freedom and our pride in our ability and our pride in our wisdom and our pride in all of these other things. That pandemic knocked us off collectively our high horse. And we realized that we're not as smart, we're not as strong, we're not as healthy, we aren't as vibrant, we're not as much of those things and how dependent we are on other things. But I think that some of those things were shaken to reveal things that could never be shaken, to remind us that there is a God and a kingdom of God that you and I are a part of, which is what the writer goes on to say, therefore, because of this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that what? That cannot be shaken. 
Because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. Can I tell you that worship is not something that's normal when things are being shook up? When we're tempted to be afraid, when things are going on around us and we don't understand, oh yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you Lord Jesus, thank you that I'm going through all this horrible stuff. That's not natural, it's not normal. But you're not a part of something that's normal. You're part of something that is unshakable. You're a part of something that cannot and will not be shaken. So in a couple of minutes that I, I have this morning, I think we all know this, that almost everything, and I want to be careful how I say this, I'm not trying to inflame things, not trying to overemphasize things, but we've watched over the last several years, really, uh, and it, you know, 10 years at least, how the things that we trust in as a nation have been shaken, have been questioned. I mean, it used to be you couldn't trust the weathermen. <laughs> They were wrong 50% of the time. But now you can't trust anything. Yeah, actually, the weatherman is more accurate nowadays. <laughs> and, 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 and this is where my default has been. This is where my aha has been. The experts agree. The experts agree. No matter what it is that we want to believe, there's experts that will agree with us. And we've become a nation, as it said in 2 Kings, we've become a nation it says there was no king in Israel, so the people did what was right in their own sight. And we've become a nation where we all do what's right in our own sight because of the things that we used to trust in have been so shaken and they have been so damaged. And, and, and that is not by human design. That is by a spiritual design, not God. Which is kind of what we were talking about last, in the last series, that all things start out spiritual and they become natural. And if we want to change things in the natural, we've got to attack the spiritual side of it first. So, you and I are a part of a kingdom. You and I are a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. But sometimes shaken or sometimes natural things, normal things, sometimes life gets shaken and we get nervous about it, but it's being shaken to reveal something that can't be shaken. And so because you and I are a part of that kingdom, then we ourselves should not be shaken either, and that we should be a witness and a testimony and an example to the life and to the world around us that we don't have to live in a shaken manner. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to represent a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God. And when Jesus came to planet earth... He began to teach the values of this kingdom. He began to teach the systems of this kingdom. And he was basically saying, if you don't want to be shaken, if you don't want to be left behind, if you don't want to, to be like everybody else, I would suggest that you begin to do the things that I'm telling you to do. He gives us the, what, we, what we know today as the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, great big long sermon. One of, it's the longest recorded sermon that Jesus preached. And in that, he was talking about the ways of this unshakable kingdom. He was talking about the culture of this kingdom. He was talking about the actions of this kingdom. It's why many times Jesus would say, you've heard it said. You've heard what the law said. You've heard what your teachings, you, you, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, I'm, I'm representing to you and I'm teaching you about an unshakable kingdom. And I want you to be a part of that. And so in that, Jesus said, you know, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what you've come up with. But the unshakable kingdom doesn't work that way. 
In fact, it says to turn the other cheek. You, you heard it said, you know, go, you know, Jesus said, I, I said, you go, go a second mile. If somebody asks you to walk with them, don't just go one mile, go two miles with them. And he was representing to the people of that day the nature and the kingdom of this unshakable kingdom. And, and, and so Jesus, at the end of that teaching, he gets to a very familiar passage of Scripture to a lot of us. But in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 24, he begins his parable this way. Therefore, here it is again. Therefore, because of all the things that he was teaching about loving your neighbor, about operating in forgiveness. And I'm thinking the people in that car are like, well, Jesus, you're just letting them off the hook. I mean, I want justice. I want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They hit me, I'm going to hit them. That's what many of us were brought up with. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way this kingdom works. And if you don't want to be shaken, then I suggest that you take things my way. And so again, he says, therefore, verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Now, I know this is real common to, to a lot of us this morning. But I want you just to hear these words again, maybe like you've never heard them before. Because you and I are called to represent a kingdom that can't be shaken. And there's going to be things around us that will be shaken. But it's going to reveal the eternal, the powerful, and the unshakable. And that's you and I. And so he says again, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. He's telling God, you're here, you're listening, you're following me. That's awesome, that's really good. I'm glad you're doing those things. I know some of you are here because I, I gave a bunch of people filet of fish sandwiches. I know you're here for that, but, but there's something else that I want you to understand. He said, he said I, I, I'm glad that you, you've heard me, but I want you to do these things. I will liken him to a wise man. If you do these things, you are so smart. Now, I don't know that I would ever have the courage to stand before you and say, if you just do the stuff I tell you to do, man, you are smart. And I know I would never stand before you and say, if you don't do this stuff, you are so stupid. I mean, that would almost sound so arrogant. And here's Jesus. <laughs> well, he's the son of God. Yeah, but nobody in the crowd really understood that he was the son of God. He goes on and he says, uh, I will liken him to a wise man. Verse 24, or verse, 20, uh, verse 24 goes on, who built his house on the rock. And the people were like, well, Jesus, we know that's just common sense. You build on a good foundation. Said the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. And the people were like, absolutely, Jesus, that's what happens. You build on the rock, your house is going to stand no matter what the storm is. And Jesus said, exactly. And that's what I'm telling you. If you will build your life, on the, uh, on the principles, the ideas of this unshakable kingdom, then you're going to be unshakable. And Jesus touched on some very sensitive things. He talked about forgiveness. He talked about love. He talked about how you steward your finances. He talked about all the stuff we complain and fight about. And he said, if you'll do them, not just here, but if you'll, if you'll, if you'll do these things, put them into practice in your life. You are so smart. And when the storm, he didn't say if the storms come, when the storms come, you're going to get pounded, but you're not falling. He goes on. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And again, the people probably think it's like, well, that's crazy, Jesus. Nobody would build their house on the sand. There's no foundation. There's no solidness. And Jesus said, exactly. You're going to be like that. 
It says, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So again, don't make the assumption that God's not on the job instead. What's your instead today? What's your instead? What's the perspective that you're going to adopt after today? I think that for some of you, this might answer some questions about the what about and how come. Others of you, maybe this is an, an assurance that it's like, you know what, that, this is awesome and I, I, I thought so and I, I'm so relieved and I feel a lot better about it. Some of you, it's, it's taking up the question of what's the instead? Changes am I going to make? What am I going to do? This is what we know, the storms are going to come. Every single one of us will encounter storms in life. We know that. So what's going to be the response when the storm comes? I just want to encourage you on something. I don't normally do these things, but next week uh, I've asked Pastor Steph to share some, uh, and we're going to kind of tag team a little bit, but, but a remarkable, 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 unshakable thing. And uh, our God is so big. Our God is so awesome. I just want to encourage you in that, that this God is so head over heels in love with you that he wants the very best for you. And he came to institute a new kingdom. He came to tell the world about this God that loves them so much. We've been convinced and lied to that this God is some old fuddy-duddy up in heaven and he's just waiting for us to get out of line so he can zap us. And we've had, unfortunately, religious people that have reinforced the idea of guilt and shame in people's life and have totally misrepresented who and what God is and what he does. And I think it's high time that the body of Christ begin to be the people that are unshakable in the face of whatever it is that happens because we know that there is a God that is a good God. We know that there is a God that is a God that is all-powerful. And even while we don't understand and even when we don't always know, we know that we can trust him because he has our best interest in heart because he loves us so much he would never harm us, he would never hurt us, and he would never leave us behind. So would you bow your heads this morning? Would you close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, for those of us that are believers in you, we surrender our heart, we surrender our life, we surrender everything about us to you. And Father, I thank you that your way is better. And Father, I ask that you would help each and every one of us collectively understand the instead of our life. And that when we're drawn away and tempted that there's always an instead, there's always another question that you're going to ask us to counter the questions of the enemy, to counter the questions of life around us. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never been born again, you've never become a part of this unshakable kingdom, I love that God invites everybody regardless, you are all welcome, we all get in the same way, and we get in by faith. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you would like to, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Would you say, Pastor Brian, would you please pray with me this morning? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just hold your hand up real high just for a second? I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? Just hold them up real quick, real quick. Anyone, anyone, anyone? Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Praise God. I want you all to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you this morning. I need a Savior. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for inviting me 
to be a part of your kingdom. And as I become a child of yours, I thank you that I'm a part of something that won't be shaken. So, Father, I thank you today. I'm forgiven. I have a new life in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for the men and women of this congregation. I thank you for the heart and life that's in it. And, Father, I want us as a church to not be shaken. That no matter what happens in central Minnesota or in our world, that we will not be moved. But instead, Father, your spirit and your word and, and, and the inspiration that comes from you is going to be what moves us. I thank you that our ear will be quick to hear the things that you say and that our feet will be sure to walk in the path so that we would walk worthy of you. And I thank you for those things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said...